Hey, D Now's in the house. That's kind of cool, the youth group. I feel like a youth pastor this morning by sheer dominance of the force, and that's okay. Um, I've been thinking about this week because I spoke to the leaders yesterday about my own experience in high school, participated at a D-NOW way back, way back, way back before things like internet. Um, anyway, so <laughs> I had a friend in high school, though, a best friend in high school, and in my early experience of college, we did everything together. We did stupid stuff together. We used to participate in this organization called Campus Life, and they would do crazy games back before seatbelt laws. <laughs> Like human scavenger hunt. A human scavenger hunt is exactly like it sounds. You have a list of people to go find instead of items or things or pictures or whatever. And so you would pile in, you'd get cars, you had designated drivers, and they would go around and find the people that match the description and bring them back to the meeting in the car that we were all riding around in. So my best friend had a Honda, I forget what it's called now, little bitty hatchback thing, like two-seater, really. In fact, he had like woofers in his back seat, whatever it was. And we had six people in that one. It wasn't a CRV. It was, anyway, but it was, like, it was designed for maybe three people. We had six, you know, driver, me, somebody in my lap, three people across the back seat with people in their laps. Actually, that's more than six. Like I said, this is pre-seatbelt law. We did stupid stuff like that. A lot of fun, bring as many people back and try to score all these points with this scavenger hunt as you can. But that was the safe, organized by the youth leader fun stuff that we did that was crazy. We did way more stuff than that that I will not disclose in public on a stage. In fact, that was the issue, right? I, once I became a Christian at like 15, there was this tension between what it means to be a Christian, especially on Sunday morning, and what Christian meant on Friday night or Monday through Thursday, Friday at school even. And it was back and forth tension. And so what I figured out was over that time with my friend, his name was David, right? When I was with him, I got in trouble. Can anybody relate? Like I was generally a pretty good kid unless I was hanging out with him. And he'd invite me to do stuff way stupider than piling eight people in a car made for three that was not necessarily legal either kind of thing. And so we were always getting in trouble and always getting in trouble, but I'm a Christian now. And so I'd be hanging out with him. It would be a blast. We'd have so much fun. And then on Sunday morning, I'd feel so guilty. <laughs> Internally, I'd have this like, what was I doing? What was I thinking? I'm lucky to be here. You know, those kind of things. And so I had this ongoing struggle with these two worlds. How do I be a Christian and hang out and have fun at the same time? How do I decide what I am allowed to do as a Christian? Because there's lots of ways we can go about that, right? We'll get into that in a minute. But this idea was what I had to finally do with him. This is what I finally had to do. I had this conversation. It's kind of interesting. I literally had to sit down with him one day and go, we can't hang out anymore. It was like a breakup talk with your best friend. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, and the way I told it to him, I was like this. I said, listen, it's not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. You're still my best friend. We can't hang out because when I'm with you, I'm not strong enough to say no. It's about me. It's about something God's doing in my life and in my heart that I have to figure out so that we can hang out later when I'm strong enough spiritually to say no when I need to say no. Because I wasn't. 
I was like, what are we doing? Cool. You know, that was, that was kind of my mode of filter. I had no filter, especially once I got into college. I think I told you this before, but I remember a night on my freshman year of college driving around at 3 a.m. just because I could. I wasn't going anywhere, doing anything wrong. I wasn't breaking any laws, nothing. It was like, oh, this is what 3 a.m. feels like. You know, I was just driving around because I could, because I had gone round and round with my parents about 11 o'clock curfew until I got out of the house. And it was like pulling back a slingshot until college let me loose. And so I was like, I'll do whatever. And I had no filter except guilt <laughs> later. And so I had to tell him, like, look, man, you're my best friend. We hang out all the time. We can't hang out until I figure this out. So I literally had to let my best friend go for a while. And that was part of me navigating that tension between these two worlds. We're doing this, ser- this series on the Sermon on the Mount, and the spin we're putting on is kingdom citizenship. Because the real- our spiritual reality is, if we belong to Christ then we are in another whole other kingdom that exists already. But we're also still living in a world that does not acknowledge or like that kingdom. And so you have to figure out how do you you remain a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and live in a world that does not acknowledge Jesus and navigate that world. And the Sermon on the Mount gives us that prescription last week We talked about the Beatitudes, great church phrase, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are these people. And it sounds like an impossible to-do list, but in reality what it is is a set of characteristics that kingdom citizens already have within them because of the Holy Spirit in our life. That if we are kingdom citizens, we should be humble and we should be meek because of the Spirit alive inside of us, but it's not an automatic overwrite. Just like when I became a Christian at 15, I didn't suddenly become perfect. I've been a Christian a lot longer than that. I'm still not perfect. (laughs) You know what I mean? So like, it's one of these things where it's like, okay, now I belong to this kingdom. I have to cultivate what a kingdom citizen looks like over the entire course of my life. It's not instantaneous. I wish it was. And I know Maddie as a youth leader would love to go, you will all be spiritual and holy. (laughs) You know, and that's how it would work. That'd be great, wouldn't it? But we can't do that. We can't even do that to ourselves, let alone to other people. As much as your parents would like to do that, you will not do anything wrong. You know, these are not the droids you're looking for. I mean, like, they would just transform you tomorrow if they could. I would as a pastor. I'd do that for my whole church. I'd be like, you're all super Christians. Go in peace. We're done. I wish I could do it that way. But it doesn't work that way. In fact, Jesus warns us that living in this already and not yet kingdom And that's the truth, because Jesus was preaching, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here now because of me, but it's not completely established yet. So it's already, but it's also not yet. It's both. That's those two worlds that we're living in. He warns us that citizens of the kingdom will not be liked by the world. You see, the world says that pride and ambition is the way to live. Right? Who has the most toys? who has the biggest income, who has the biggest personal kingdom. That's what what the world promotes. A kingdom citizen promotes humility for God and mercy toward others. It's the complete opposite. And so we endure persecution because we don't match the kingdom we live in. This is verse 11 and 12 of chapter 5. Blessed are you when people revile you. And persecute you 
and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Sign me up to be a Christian. Right? Blessed are you who are being persecuted for identifying yourself with me. For calling yourself a citizen of God's kingdom, you get the world to hate you. And you should do that not grin and bear it like stoic, like I'm a Christian, the world hates me, I'm going to get through this. He says, endure it with joy, consider it joy. James says, consider it pure joy when you're persecuted. What? Anybody like being persecuted and then feeling good about it? It seems counterintuitive, but the reason there's two reasons why we can consider it joy or happiness to not fit the rest of the world. Number one, it's evidence that you belong to God. If you're not like them, and you're having to make decisions about a best friend who's a bad influence on you, or a career choice, or a thing that you love that you know is not of the kingdom of God, and you have to make that choice, that sacrifice, that tells you that God's at work in your life. That is evidence that you belong to Him. And the second part is actually in verse 12. He says, because you persevere and because you, you can consider it joy, because your reward will be great. In fact, in verse 10, he says, you will inherit the kingdom of God. Those Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It is our greatest struggle as followers to determine how to live in a new kingdom in the middle of the old. It is. Which leaves us with a couple of options. I mentioned this a minute ago. If you're a Christian, you call yourself a follower of Jesus, and the world is diametrically opposed to your values, and it is, you've got some options. You can pull completely away and not associate with non-Christians at all. That's an option. You can try it. Good luck with that. But like you can, you can I'm only going to listen to Christian music. I'm only going to do Christian things. I'm only going to, you can do that. You can try to isolate yourself from the world's influence. You can try. You can try that. That's an option. The second one is, you can judge the rest of the world, consider yourself better than them. Hey, I'm a Christian. Jesus loves me. I'm a pretty good person. That guy's a lost person. He's bad. That's an option. Not a very good one either. Jesus called those, that was, that's basically what Jesus railed about, about the Pharisees. The Pharisees said things like, Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that tax collector. That's an option. You can look at the rest of the world and go, the rest of the world's going to hell and I'm not. I'm better than them. That's a way to interact with the world. It will definitely get you persecuted. Try judging all of your friends for how they live and see how that far that gets you. Or being judgmental toward all your friends and see how far that gets you. Your peers at work. We can consider ourselves the world's rescuer. It's my job as a Christian to rescue the rest of the world. Make things better. Change it. Change them. We went over the whole how you transform somebody, right? Like, I can make my friend more spiritual, my parents more spiritual, my brother more spiritual, my coworker more spiritual. I can do those things. They need Jesus. You ever heard somebody say that? That person, they need Jesus. And I'm going to give him to them. I mean, these are all ways you can interact with the world as a Christian. You can choose to do that. Or you can come completely indistinguishable from the rest of the world and be just like everybody else. That's an option. Party just as hard as they do. 
Seek money over everything else. Get divorced like everybody else does. You can do everything that everybody does and not be able, people not even be able to tell that you are a Christian. And guess what? You may well not be persecuted because they're just like you and you're just like them and it's okay. Everything's fine. You got your private Jesus thing. And otherwise, otherwise, after Sunday, you're just like everybody else in the rest of the world and it's all good. That's a way to interact in these two kingdoms and bring them together. Still don't think it's a very good one. I really don't believe that's the way it's meant to be. So then how do we do this? How do we navigate this place between what's not happened yet, Jesus returning and making everything right, and the way things are now? Look at verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but it is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket. Sounds like a kindergarten song. But on the, on the lampstand, it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount, at this point in the Sermon on the Mount, gives us the prescription He's told us how we're supposed to live as kingdom citizens through the Beatitudes and what should be our attributes, our characteristics, our natural inclination. Submission before God, love and mercy toward others. And then he says, the world will hate you for that. So here's how you balance the difference. Here's how you operate. You should be salt. How does that work? <laughs> In the ancient world, salt had multiple, multiple uses. Let me list some for you. This is great. Seasoning for food. Hey, we still do that one. They were at, salt was added to sacrifices. Salt was a sign or a symbol of a barren wasteland. If you salted somebody's crops, the ground would not produce crops. You could make it barren. It was a sign of loyalty. It was used in fertilizer. Hey, go be the salt of the earth. Be used in fertilizer. It was used for cleaning newborns. And it was used as a preservative in days when they didn't have the refrigerator. It would preserve meat for a little bit longer than without a refrigerator would go. And all these uses. So what does Jesus mean when he says, go be salt? Be a preservative? <laughs> Make everything barren? What does he mean? I think, Charlie theory here, or at least I think the intent of what he's trying to say is this. Salt does have multiple purposes that are all beneficial. That's the point. It spices up food. It preserves meat. It cleans a baby that's just been born. It does, it adds to life. Salt makes their world better. If we're to be the salt to the rest of the world as kingdom citizens of a kingdom that has not been completely established yet, part of our life here is to be influential in the world. It is to make it better, to make it a better place to live, a more peaceful, more merciful place to live, a more transformative place to live, a more kind place to live, to change the way it is by, the way, by being beatitude people, by being kind, by being merciful, by being submissive to God. We're supposed to make the world better. Christians ought to be the best artists, the best musicians, 
the best scientists ever. Why? Because God is a creative God and gave us that. And God created the world to be discovered and to be organized and to be ordered in a certain way. And he's commissioned us to go be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over it. We rightly see reality as the creation that God gave us. And there's something about who we are and who we belong to that ought to give us a unique insight into how we interact and make the world a better place and how we can be salt to the rest of the world. We're supposed to add flavor. That meat doesn't taste as good without me. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're supposed to make the world a better place by being kingdom citizens in that world now. To shape it, not to withdraw from it or judge or isolate yourself, but to be influential in it. And so we're supposed to engage the world. We're supposed to participate in the world. You're not going to benefit your spiritual walk by never interacting with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. That isolation effort is impossible. A number of years ago, the Christian church tried to boycott ESPN. Is it ESPN? Or boycott Disney, sorry. Boycott Disney, which meant boycott an ESPN, so it failed miserably, <laughs> right? Like, if you try to boycott Disney, you're giving up everything that Disney has its hands in. Good luck. If you're going to isolate yourself from people who don't have your faith, you're not going to get to talk to a whole lot of people. You can't do it. How do you avoid the influence of stuff on television? How do you avoid the influence of stuff on your phone? How do you avoid the stuff in the... How do you avoid conversations with people at school or at work or anywhere that's not a Christian? It's impossible. So then what should that conversation be when we have it? It should be salt. It should be an influence. It should be a, an effort to expand the kingdom of God. We should share, which really kind of takes us forward. Because he says, don't be tasteless, right? He says, some salt becomes useless, and it's no good. Throw it out under the road. That kind of salt had been so mixed with other things that it had lost its flavor. It had lost its usefulness. It had lost its ability to preserve food. You could just throw it out. It was no good. Can't do that. So when he talks about engaging the world, there's, two, there's these two dynamics in play here. And we make this mistake. There's two errors that you have to worry about, Right? when you're interacting with the rest of the world, when you're engaging the world. On one side, I can do whatever I want. I'm a Christian. It's fine. I'll just live any way I want to live is an error. Once you call yourself a kingdom citizen, you're supposed to be a certain type of person. You're supposed to have certain types of values, certain types of, certain types of beliefs, the Ten Commandments, loving others, loving your enemy. That's a weird one. How do you love your enemy? You have these things. You can't just do whatever you want, and it's okay as long as you're a Christian. That's an error. But you also can't, on the other end of the spectrum is, go and be perfect. You can't do that either. You can't possibly keep all the rules all the time. Should I run through the Ten Commandments and see how you did this week? You know what I mean? Like you cannot earn your way into God's favor by being perfect. And you cannot live any way you want and call yourself a Christian. Both are wrong. What you're trying to figure out is, I want to live the way God has called me to, and that is my goal. That is what I'm asking God to cultivate in me. And I recognize that sometimes I'm going to screw that up, and God's going to forgive me. And it's a balance between those two pivot points. 
God's always going to forgive me for whatever I do, so I'll just apologize later. I can do what I want. Nope. I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to do everything God's ever told me to do all the time, never screw up. Nope. It's somewhere in the middle. As God cultivates in us kingdom characteristics, by the way, the more beatitudes you have in your life, the more Christ-like you are. The more humble, the more peaceful, the more kind, the more patient, the more fruits of the Spirit you have in your life, the more like the Savior you are. But it's not instantaneous. It is a journey that you're on, and you're trying to avoid this one, and you're trying to avoid this one. You're trying to stay here, or at least move there, knowing that sometimes you're going to need forgiveness. And so you're, when you engage the world, you have to make choices like I did with my best friend that goes, I'm engaging the world with him, but I am not strong enough to be salt in his life, so I need to be over here for a while so that I can be an influence on him instead of the other way around. You with me? Like, I have to ground myself in the, in the kingdom mindset, the kingdom way of living in such a way that when I'm with him, I can still be Christ-like and hang out with him. And I'm still going to screw up sometimes because we came up with some stupid stuff. God's going to love me anyway. But I'm trying to be like Christ in every area of my life. In fact, if you think, you're, you, think you can be a Christian and not have to give certain things up that the whole world loves, then you've missed the point of this whole sermon. In fact, if you get angry at God because you have to give up something that the Bible says is immoral, maybe you love it more than God. Let me say that again. If you get angry at God because the Bible says you should not fill in the blank, that upsets you because you really like doing that. And you don't want to give it up, but you call yourself a Christian. Remember, we're walking in this balance here, right? Maybe the reason I don't want to give it up is I love it more than God. And that's what the Bible calls an idol. I should be willing to give up anything to be like Christ. Even if I don't really want to give it up. <laughs> I mean, if sin wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. I mean, Right? If sin wasn't fun, we would be like, I'm not doing that. It's no fun. You know? it'd, be easy to be, it'd be easy to be perfect if sin was awful. But sin has appeal because it appeals to the sinful side of ourself that we're trying to put out of our life. And so sometimes we don't want to give that up. And that, by definition, is an idol. Verse 14, the light side of this thing here for a second. He says, be salt. Then in verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hid, nor one after lighting a lamp puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lampstand gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. If salt is how we're supposed to engage the world and interact with the world and be in the world and be a kingdom citizen, then light is what we're supposed to do while we're there. If salt, being salt and being influential and being positive is how we engage the world, to be kind, to be compassionate, to be loving, to be merciful is how we engage the world, then what we're bringing with us is light. Because it is true that the rest of the world doesn't know the hope and the joy and the peace and the inheritance of the kingdom that we do. 
You're not supposed to hide what you believe and who you belong to. It would be like lighting a lamp and then putting something over it so you can't see it. Your own private, personal faith, nobody knows I'm a Christian, is what that verse is talking about. He says, let your light shine before others, and you'll be persecuted because of that, but have joy because you'll inherit the kingdom. Like, (laughs) hey, go out and be who God's called you to be, sharing the hope that comes from knowing Christ and being a kingdom citizen. God's light comes from people, not buildings. The church on the hill, the connection building, doesn't share the light with the world. You do. And you don't have to be like, I I know the four spiritual laws, let me help somebody become a Christian. That's not what I'm talking about, although that's awesome. We can talk about how that works. I'm talking about if I'm kind and merciful to somebody I'm not supposed to be kind and merciful to, that communicates something. If I'm patient with somebody I don't like or can't get along with, that shows something. And sooner or later, the world goes, what's up with this guy? What's up with that group of people? There's something different about them. But if we hide it, they don't know about it. And Jesus said, if you deny me before others, I will deny you before my Father. We're supposed to shine the hope and the gospel to others in the way we live. What does the last part of that verse say? It says, let your light shine so that your good works will be seen. Your charity, your kindness, your compassion will be seen and they will glorify your God in heaven, your Father in heaven. I think it's James, maybe Hebrews. The pastor should know, but I don't know. It says, Live, and maybe maybe one of those, either one of those, live such good lives in front of others that they will give glory to God in heaven. That even the pagans will give glory to God because of you. That's salt and light. If I engage the rest of the world in such a way, in such a kind, peaceful, charitable, gospel, kingdom center kind of way, that the whole world goes, what's different about him? Then they'll see God in me. So being good, doing right, is not about you in the first place. It's about, do, it's about giving glory to God, not you. It's not, look how super spiritual I am after Dean now. It is, what is God doing in me, and how is he going to use me to be salt and light to the world? You're not supposed to be tasteless salt, and you're not supposed to be a hidden lamp. You're supposed to be a person, a kingdom citizen who is in the kingdom of heaven now and will one day inherit the reward that comes with that. But it's our job to participate in the building of that kingdom by being salt and light. And yes, it'll have a price. And yes, at times it'll be difficult. And yes, at times you will get it wrong. You will. I've been a Christian since I was 15. I turned 51 on Tuesday. I've gotten plenty wrong. Probably this weekend. Certainly in an airport when your flight gets canceled. You ever want to test your faith? Fly. 6 a.m. flight. Have it canceled after you've been up since 3 o'clock in the morning. And see how full of the spirit you are at 10. (laughs) Right? I don't have it all figured out either. But here's the truth of the gospel. When I screw it up and I confess that sin before God, He is faithful 
and gracious to forgive me. So when I'm out there trying to be salt and I get a little mixed and I'm no longer salty, God goes, that's okay. I'm going to make you new again. It's all right. We're going to keep rolling. Your light's a little dim. Let's see if we can't brighten it up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's get that bushel basket off of you and get out there. I got you. And yes, it might cost you something. It might hurt. But it's not about you. It's about me being God. Right? So I have two things for you. I failed to mention this as y'all flooded in the lobby earlier. We have journals in the lobby. They are journals that have the Gospel of Matthew with some space to write. Those are our gift with massive influx of youth. We may not have enough, but if you want one, take one. They're your gift. And so each sermon, each week, I've been giving a prescriptive journal entry to make as you can journal through Matthew on your own. But as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, here's an option. So here's your journal entry for this week based on what I've been saying. How might you engage the world with influence for the kingdom this week? You don't have to worry about, I'm going to be transformative for the rest of my life. How are you going to take a step this week to be an influence for the kingdom of God? Give that some thought. Write it down. If you don't want the journal, don't take the journal. Spend some time on a piece of paper going, okay, Jesus, what is it this week that you are calling me to do to be salt to the world that I interact with? And give that some prayer and some thought and some consideration because maybe the Spirit wants to show you something. The second thing, this is kind of fun and different, just because I'm going to be fun and different and kind of cheesy, and that's okay. To remind you to journal and to remind you to be salt of the earth, I have salt packets. I know, right? So here's the thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this, since we have lots of people, we'll pass this around. I'm going to pray, and, when I'm, and the band's going to come back up and do one more song. Pass this bowl around. Take a salt packet. I'm doing it right now. Glad it didn't land on the candle. I'm doing it right now. Put it in your pocket. Put it somewhere. Carry it with you this week that it may remind you to engage the world as a kingdom citizen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we confess this morning that this is a struggle. The Christian life is hard. The things you call us to do and ask us to do can be a challenge. They can challenge the very heart desires that we have. They can challenge our loves. Your call, your word can challenge our desire, our ambition, all of that. But remind our hearts that it's not about us, but about you. Fill us with your spirit in such a way that we would be salt and light to those we come in contact with. In Christ's name, amen.